Why are some writers so dangerous? Is it their physical beauty? <laughs> no. Politics is Hollywood for ugly people. And writers who are write politics aren't known for their beauty. But you know what makes them dangerous? The good ones, at least, remember things. That's what makes them dangerous. Especially in Chicago. Especially with the main event taking place now. In the center ring, now. The race for mayor of Chicago. And even so, many are trying so damn hard not to remember. Not to remember what happened. Not to remember what the past tells us about this mayoral campaign. But if you can remember, maybe you can trace the fall of Chicago as if it were an angry red line drawn on a map. And you realize that as all the schemers tell you, memory isn't important. But it is important. Chicago Mayor Phallus Maximus was there at that memorial rally for Harold Washington at the University of Illinois, Chicago, Chicago's Circle Campus, just after Washington had died. And that was 34 years ago, when the cancel culture was born. At least she told me she, she was there. She could have been lying, but I don't think so. And our guest today, Chicago mayoral candidate and alderman, 6th Ward Alderman Roderick Sawyer, was there. He was there with his father then, Alderman Eugene Sawyer, soon to be Mayor Gene Sawyer, back in the day when Gene Sawyer was a college student, long before that, when he was at a black fraternity serving as a bodyguard for the late Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And I was there 34 years ago at Chicago Circle, at the Pavilion, to see how Gene Sawyer was treated. And you know who else was there? The Democratic machine cold holder for machine Southside Alderman Claude W. Holman was there. Holman was a notorious alderman. And his coat holder, a young man at his elbow, was Tim Evans, who became his fourth ward alderman, Tim Evans, his successor, and later, well, moved on to other things. At that time, after Harold Washington had died, the left in Chicago wanted to make Tim Evans the mayor. But they chose a funny way of accomplishing this. They painted alderman Gene Sawyer, Eugene Sawyer, as a race trader, as an Uncle Tom. In that rally, things were said that couldn't be unsaid. It was so bad that sometimes columnist Vernon Jarrett was compelled and forced by his newspaper, The Sun-Times, to apologize after he compared Gene Sawyer to African militiamen, and I quote, killing black babies. That was outrageous. It was wrong. It didn't bother Evans and the left, though. It was politics to them. They destroyed Gene Sawyer by saying he wasn't black enough, and it was revolting. Because I knew what Gene Sawyer did in college. I knew that he had protected Dr. Martin Luther King. He was no Uncle Tom, but they called him that. And I promised myself, standing there, listening 
to Gus Savage scream, to Vernon Jarrett scream, listening to Lou Palmer weep, I promised myself I would never forget it. Not everyone was upset. You know, somebody was happy. Rich Daly was happy. With black politics tearing itself apart, Richard M. Daly moved in, offering to calm the tensions. And the media played ball and thanked him and thanked him again. And so he was made boss of Chicago. And it was Daly who took Tim Evans by the hand and helped make him the chief judge of Cook County. And now Tim is in charge of all the violent that are let out on low or no bond and electronic monitoring, arrested for violent crimes and then put out and into those same black neighborhoods to commit unspeakable violence against those same black people. And the left doesn't want to talk about that either. There's no way that angry white leftists want to talk about how they're hurting black people. So yeah, and I don't forget. I remember. I will tell you a secret though. In Alderman Roderick Sawyer's desk, where he's planning his Chicago mayoral campaign, he's got a $20 bill with my signature on it. Why is my signature on that 20 and Alderman Roderick Sawyer's desk? I guess you'll have to listen to the Chicago Way podcast. And co-host Jeff Carlin is here as always. Executive producer, WGN, future physics teacher, lover of cats, master of pies, and of sound. And I'm John Cass, husband, father, editor-in-chief of your favorite website for common sense, johncassnews.com. And where are you? It's just some people barely remember what it was done to Rod Sawyer's father and to the city of Chicago. When the dailies marched in, let in, cemented there by all the angry, angry talk of the left about who was black and who wasn't. Oh, yeah. You should remember, people. It's your city. To the city of Chicago, when those ugly, angry voices could destroy a man who loved his family and his church in his neighborhood and the city? Where are you? You're with Jeff Carlin and Rod Sawyer and me on the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Look, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. So our guest as promised is Rod Sawyer, alderman of the 6th Ward. 
running for mayor of Chicago. And I, I'd just like to offer to Roderick Sawyer, Alderman Sawyer of the Sixth Ward, and anybody else who's running for mayor, uh, you're all welcome to write for John Cast News as long as you're not attacking anyone. Uh, you can criticize them, but just don't get, you know, don't get all lefty Marxist Jacobin on, on them. And uh, you're welcome to write. I'd like to hear what, read what uh, Rod Sawyer has in mind for the city. But right now he's on the podcast. So, Rod, what do you have in mind for the city of Chicago? Well, first of all, good morning to you, John, and thank you for having me on the show. Good morning, show. sir. Uh, my my goals are, are are laudable, but I think they're they're very direct, and I think they can be understood by everyone. Uh, my goal is to reset what's going on in Chicago as far as the administration and the way we do business, because it's not it's archaic, it makes no sense, and it really does not uh, drill down to the everyday citizen of Chicago. Uh, we're based on a system. Uh, basically, let's be honest, we're based on a patronage system with no patronage. Uh, it's a connected system that does not have the the tools necessary to get things done. Uh, and it frustrates a lot of aldermen. That's why you probably see the exodus, the mass exodus of people leaving because the job is no longer fulfilling. And that's a big problem. And when I talk about this, we need to reset how government operates. Um, you know, we need to talk about why it takes a year to get a tree trimmed. It needs, we need to talk about why 311 constantly re is referring people back to the automatic offices. That should not be the case. 311 is the place where you're supposed to go get things done and they're not getting done. So there's so many basic things that we have that uh, need to be corrected. Uh, so, but when we talk about all the issues that are ailing us with public safety, with uh, police, with education, with uh, business uh, corridors not being uh, living up to their full potential. It all starts with structure. And right now we have no structure. Uh, we're one of the few cities in the, in the nation that does not have a city charter. We have no direction. Uh, ask anybody what an alderman's job really is, and you'll get a hundred different answers if you ask a hundred different people. Because there's no form and structure to what our jobs are right now. So just collectively, this is the core of what's going on and what's wrong with Chicago. Uh, and all the other problems kind of stem from us lacking real structure in operating our government. I mean, it, so the, uh, thanks for, for jumping on here today with us, too. It, I, one of the things you, you, you've talked about in that structure or things of structure that, that aren't working for the city is is uh, Superintendent Brown? I mean, you've you've been outspoken saying that if you were elected, he'd he'd be one of the first things you'd, you'd change about the city. Um, and you speak to it as a leadership issue. Do you feel that the that the power held in that office is is too vast? Because we hear all the time that that the aldermen say, "Well, I, I just can't get the resources. I can't get them to my ward. I can't get them to where I need them to be." And you you know represent very dangerous areas of the city at times. Why is it do you think? that uh, Brown should go? Well, let's first say every area in the city has challenges right now. And, and I think we all yeah. are experiencing that. Uh, and, and public safety is real. You know, you, you cannot go on and talk about numbers year over year. Nobody cares about that. If there's one incident in your neighborhood and it makes you feel 
a certain have a certain level of anxiety where you're not coming out. That means if you're not coming out, you're not spending money. You're not spending money. The city does not have the revenue it needs to operate. So let's deal with basics. And yes, uh, David Brown, I think, is a, a personable gentleman. I don't can't say anything bad personally about him. But structurally, I, I think that it would be time for a change and, and, and get somebody in that superintendent's position that will really have the respect of the rank and file and really would uh, get them to work together with the superintendent and get things done. Police job are to catch bad guys. Their apprehension, there's an apprehension unit. They're supposed to go out uh, based on calls, based on service requests and catch people uh, doing bad things. Let's get the police refocused in their job. That's really what we have to do. I am not a policeman, John and, and Jeff. I'm not a policeman. I, you know, I have basic knowledge, but I would rely upon the superintendent of police to do the job effectively, to uh, marshal the troops and make sure that they feel uh, that someone has their back and supports them so that they can do their job effectively. Uh, I would not micromanage the police. I would consult with my superintendent and talk about best practices, but I will allow that person to do their job. One thing I have a feeling that you would not do as Mayor Alden Sawyer is that if a police officer were chasing a, a young man down the alley, young man had a gun uh, and turned fire on that police officer. I just don't see, based on the, the man I know, Roderick Sawyer, that you would be making political hay and screaming about the end of Foot, uh, foot chases, you wouldn't be politicizing it in that way no. as, as she did. And I, I think that to me is like one of the big differences between uh, uh, Roderick Sawyer and Alderman Sawyer and uh, Mayor Lightfoot is that your experience of in the city, you understand how these departments work. And, and you you came out with this idea that you know, why, why aren't trim, trees getting trimmed? Because we're re relying on an old, like, feudal, aldermanic uh, system that, that doesn't exist anymore. And yes. the same thing with, with foot patrol. So what happened to her, Alderman? What happened to Lori, uh, Lori uh, Lightfoot well, uh, that led her down this path? Well, John, that's that's an interesting question. I, I really wish I can answer that because I don't have as much interaction with the mayor as I've had with the uh, previous administration. And that, good or bad, you know, uh, Rom, right. you know, will speak very basic to you. And, and sometimes the conversations get a little, you know, get a little murky, but you understood what he was talking about. And he did engage you in conversation. Um and at the end of the day, we worked things out and we got things that would benefit the city of Chicago. Uh, this administration is, is a little bit more top down. They're they're more uh, just letting them know, letting us know what they're going to do when they get around to it, as opposed to engaging with us and talking about things that we can do that would better everyone in the city of Chicago. And it's frustrating. So I, I do share that concern, John, and, and it's. I wish I had an answer to your question about what happened. Uh, I don't. Uh, there's a uh, there were a lot of promises made at the beginning of the administration. Uh, 
I was actually encouraged. I wanted her to succeed. I wanted her to do well. Me too. Uh, I, I thought that Jeff. would be something that would be different. And uh, we would be uh, finally having a partner, you know, having a, a real partner in city government. But it mm. was not the case. I mean, she serves her agenda more than she serves the constituency, it seems, in my opinion, that that's all that is. It's, well, how do I achieve the agenda of what I want to do and not how do I make yeah. the average citizen's life better? Right. And that's always expedient. It may it may on the short run seem good. But as mayor, you have to make some difficult decisions. You have to make decisions that will benefit the majority of Chicagoans, even if sometimes those decisions will make a few people and maybe those are the people that are talking loudly uh, upset. And you have to stand, you know, being tough is standing by your decision, have the courage of your convictions to make decisions that would benefit Chicago. Not, you know, uh, flipping off the, the president or flipping off the Supreme Court justice or, 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 or you know, playing yeah. the dozens, if you will, with people. <laughs> That's not tough. That's a bully. You know, I'd like to, I think uh, our guest, uh, Alderman Roderick Sawyer, of the Sixth Ward, uh, has put, put his finger on the issue. And it goes back, uh, and you should all know this if you don't, because Roderick knows it, and I do, because I was there, and he was watching it. On the, the week that Harold Washington died, 1987, is when we began to see the city of Chicago crack up into this uh, woke, progressive, uh, Jacobin jabbering. It happened when he was, when Harold Washington died, that Tim Evans was um, the candidate that the left wanted to be mayor. Although they sold him as a reformer, but Tim Evans was basically a coat holder for Claude Holman. The, the ward boss of the second of the fourth ward, he was a coat holder. I mean, I knew him back then that way, and so did everybody else. And and Roderick Sawyer was just a kid, and uh, they were they were wanting him for Tim Evans for mayor. And they portrayed in order to do this, they portrayed a, a man, Gene Sawyer, alderman of the sixth ward, who had walked with. Martin Luther King, who had put his body in front of threats to protect Martin Luther King, this man they denounced as a race traitor, as an Uncle Tom. It was probably the most sickening uh, thing that I'd ever seen in Chicago up to that point, and I've seen many sickening things, but that started us on a road where common sense people people of goodwill, we could be denounced by the loudest voices, and those voices were carried by the media, and I was in the media, I saw, I saw it all, saw how it worked. And I don't think we've recovered since then. Alderman Sawyer, Jeff Carlin, I throw it to you guys. Have we recovered? Really? Well, well John, uh, this is the thing. I was uh, I was in law school when that happened. I was downtown um, uh, the moment I saw the um, the uh, notification on TV that Harold was taken to the hospital. So I, I did not leave my dad's side from that point on, uh, up in, including the funeral and up until the um, 
the day of the special council meeting. Uh, mm -hmm. You can see how people turned and it, it was it was it was frightening almost. And it was definitely discouraging to my father, who was uh, a man who, you know, was proud of his people, was proud of the Sixth Ward and um, and was happy to support black causes, which was not that popular back then in the 60s and 70s. Uh, as you stated earlier, you know, in the 50s, my dad was out there protecting uh, Dr. King's house uh, with his fraternity right. brother. Um, you know, my dad came in, you know, working his way up from the water department, sewer department, uh, through the Young Democrats and, and through the Democratic Party, uh, all the while supporting uh, the neighborhood and supporting the area. Uh, you know, so it was frustrating to see that uh, people that did not know him that well would say things about him. And what was even more discouraging were the people that were calling my father because I was the one that answered the phones. If anybody just go back to 1987 and you got, if you made my, a call to my father, I was the person that answered the phone. I know who called. I know who said that, you know, it, it had to be him only to go back on the city council floor and denounce him. So I, I've seen right. those things. I, I've witnessed them personally. So I know how it is for someone to turn on you and to, uh, turn their back on you and the work that you had spent your life doing. And it is difficult to see. And just in growing it up, was, it, was, it, it was larger than that though. It was, it was, yes, it was a devastating to you, to your family and to, and to the mayor, but it was also devastating to the city because then we got into this mode of, you know, this, that was like the first cancel culture, the first cancel yeah. culture was about a was applied by a black man against a black man uh who and people at the time when people wanted a black mayor and all i kept saying and lou palmer kept saying was hey gene sawyer's a black man you have a black mayor what are you doing to yourselves but that didn't stop them and they destroyed it yeah it, it was it was a heart-wrenching period of time and and uh, it was obviously difficult for our family, and and but my dad kept moving and he kept going uh, and and did the right thing. Uh, all the things that Harold was was working on and attempting to pass, every single one of them yeah. had gotten gotten passed under my father's administration. As short as it was, um, he he got all those things, which included lights at Wrigley Field, the first human rights ordinance, labor peace. You know those things were all you know on the agenda. And uh, and they were all passed by my father. How do you think these seeing growing up in that in that time and, and seeing what things are now? I mean, their activism has always been a kind of a part of, of you know American society and, and the, our threat of our culture. But seeing it as it is now, what is your take in that respect to how people go about you know the cancel culture, which seems to be the the ultimate or instant weapon that anybody uses? to you know, get their ends. Well, I, how do you feel about what you see when you see people trying to pull down statues and, and do these, these things in the middle of the night? Uh, what is your take on that? Well, let me say this. First of all, I do agree with a certain level of activism. I, I was, after this occurred, I was quite an activist on my own, in my own right back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, especially after I, I graduated from law school. I, I became quite active in, in the space where now people are getting hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to do. But I was in, you know, in, uh, you know, gang intervention and crime prevention space. 
And I did that as a volunteer, as a young lawyer, you know, working with gang leaders, trying to get the numbers down. We worked in 94, 95 when the numbers were at its highest, when numbers were hitting 980, uh, 980 plus. We helped to get those numbers down, cut in half. And we were working with former gang leaders and actually sometimes current gang leaders and, and getting them to, you know, attempt to direct themselves from criminal and antisocial activity to something more positive. That was something that I worked on tirelessly for some several years as an unpaid, you know, volunteer. Uh, so I've, I've been involved in that, but it was never to the point where we tried to tear someone else down to build ourselves up. It was always talking about the positive, always talking about what we can do better on ourselves uh, as, as individuals to make the whole system better. It was not uh, you like this, so we hate you automatically. It was never any of that. Yeah. And that's well, kind of what that, I was, that, the difference. that yeah. perspective is interesting because that that's really I mean I'm before my time and I'm not a, an activist at heart but I, I see it and I just see thinking that stuff that you saw in the when I was a kid in the 90s and, and 80s you know it was it was activism like you said getting involved we're going down to the to YMCA or the boys and girls clubs or getting involved in community that's programs. what we were doing and that's exactly right. what we were doing, Jeff yeah and now we it seems like it that. seems like it's anarchy is the key I mean and, maybe and maybe I'll say crazy. This. And I'll say this to my uh, my Italian-American brothers and sisters that may be listening, who I, I fully <laughs> support. Let me just say this. I'm not a and I'll be honest with you. And, and, I, and I've talked to men, many members of the Italian-American uh, activists that are uh, involved in uh, preserving the, the culture of Christopher Columbus. I'm going to be honest with you. I was not I was always one that suspected the accomplishments of Christopher Columbus. But. I respect those individuals who hold that person in high esteem. And I get that it's part of a bigger cultural movement for the Italian Americans. It's not necessarily Christopher Columbus, that person, but mm -hmm. the, uh, the amalgam of, of all the things that Italian Americans have contributed to this country. And on a personal note, I know that I have people that I hold in high esteem that people may not agree with. Maybe you hear uh, uh, John and Jeff on the call may not agree with. But I think that it would be more worthy of a, a educational conversation of why I like this certain person or why someone else likes that certain person. You know, it, it shouldn't be to a point where we're, we're tearing another person's beliefs down. And maybe it, it should be an educational moment where we can all talk together and find out, you know, what our real interests are and, and what we're doing to make Chicago better in this, these cultural differences that we have. One of the things that makes talking with Roderick Sawyer so interesting and exciting and attractive to me is that after 40 years of covering uh, Chicago politics, I get a sense of how things work just a little bit. And what uh, the alderman said at the outset of this podcast, we can't even get the trees trimmed because we live in a I'm paraphrasing. We, we exist in a Chicago exists in a feudal uh, patronage system where there is no patronage to enforce it. Yeah, uh, that's, that that's to correct. me is spot on. Spot on, Rod. Yeah, so and we have to change, change that system. Uh, and how would you and change I'll, the charter? I'm sorry. How would you change the charter? Well, get, well, one, we don't have one. I mean, we haven't had one, you know, we right. had one in 1837 and we've had some minor revisions 
uh, over the years, but we have no real structural charter. Other cities, I've learned this, and I, and I want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, a, a gentleman and a good guy I've been speaking with over the last uh, several weeks, uh, Joe Ferguson, who's working on this project right now. And it's funny because we didn't always agree when he was here, but we, I think we had a really healthy respect for each other uh, to discuss things that were of common interest. And I think he's a great guy working on something in this vein right now. Uh, he instructed and told he, this. He's the one that told me this. He said most other yeah. cities revise their charter every five to 10 years. Uh, we haven't done it basically at all. And we need a real charter to give the rights and responsibilities of, of the city of Chicago and our other elected officials that are supposed to be working with us, including the aldermen, and kind of figure out what we're doing and why we're doing it so badly. And how do we correct that? So we, it's a hard reset, as as uh, as as Joe Ferguson I called agree. it, and and, yeah. and I think I, and I agree with him one hundred percent on it, and I support him in his in his endeavors on trying to get this done. And I would be one that would be working with him directly uh, uh, as mayor to do these types of things. Uh, I believe in term limits for executive offices. I think it just makes sense. I think that we have need to have uh, a council president, if you will. I mean, if we're going to operate correctly on on a legislative and an executive yeah. branch, you know, why don't right. we have a council president? Right. Why isn't that council president along with the members choosing committee heads instead of the mayor? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. That drives me nuts. Seeing the mayor and council and presiding as almost like a king or a, you know, yeah. a ruler that that drives me it's, nuts. It's ineffective. It's it doesn't Emperor. work. For Emperor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the things that a lot of people may not be talking the- about. And quite honestly, you may not understand because they have not been around. You know, I, I grew up through patronage. I've seen I've right. seen the great things that can happen in patronage. And I also saw the bad side of patronage and how it can occur. But I will say that patronage created a middle class in Chicago like no other at its heyday. And when it was working, it was working greatly. The problem was the the uh, disciplinary portions of it were mm-hmm. really bad and they should have just cut out that portion without cutting the entire thing. But I know that's a whole nother subject and I know sure. it gets a little touchy with people. Well, but, um, you know, I, I really I'm not afraid to talk about it. Good. Because this is a Chicago way and we talk <laughs> about real stuff. And one of the things that when patronage worked as you, as, and maybe some of you might remember, there was a ward on the South side of Chicago called the Six. It was run by Gene Sawyer, who was po- posthumously, I still owe your father $20 on a and No, on You know a, what? I still have that $20 bill in my, in my drawer right now that you gave me and signed. <laughs> <laughs> I did sign it. So I paid you did sign time, it. Right? I still have it. And what was, was it? Tw- what was it, 24? Cover a bet. Yeah, okay. It was, well, that was a, pri- that was was a bet he made and, and lost. Yeah, that John made. Gene, Gene Sawyer, his father was telling me that uh, Roberto Duran would lose against uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. That's right. And we both liked watching fights and talking about <laughs> the fights. And, my dad was a big and fight I said, fan. no way. We big fight no way. And I didn't, I didn't know that they expanded the ring to th- uh, like 30 by 60 foot ring and all whatever <laughs> they did to give, to give Leonard an advantage. But uh, anyway, the, the, the point I was trying to make earlier was that uh, we we like practical solutions here and practical people. 
And I'll, I'll give you guys another example, okay? Pat Quinn uh, wants to run for mayor, okay? Uh, he's talking about it. He's running for mayor. Yeah. But you know what? The practical, the, the practical legacy of Pat Quinn was that he gave us Mike Madigan, boss of, of Illinois, for 45 years because of what Pat Quinn did in the cutback amendment not thinking, but just not thinking the way Roderick Sawyer's thinking soberly, step by step, but just thinking for a press release, uh, a complete mm. upheaval, and that created the four tops. And one of them, the four tops, were Mike Madigan. So, I would say, uh, Ted Quinn, your uh, legacy is Boss Madigan. But one I thing he did have. One thing he did have, Gene, I mean, uh, pardon me, Alderman right. Sawyer, Roderick, is that Madigan did have his own tree trimming machines that he got. Yeah. I don't know if he paid for him, if he, I think he paid for leveraged them. them, but he had his on his ward, in his ward yard. So if you needed tree trimming, you didn't have to go down to, the, to City Hall and go through the jump through hoops and never have your trees trimmed, Madigan would send crews out that day or the next day. That's how, that's how uh, an alderman builds and a committeeman build their ward organizations from that, not from service, not from uh, rhetoric. But yeah, and that, and that very problem exists now because now it's, it's a have and a have not situation. And that's not what we want in the city of Chicago right now. I, I, I believe that we want everybody to get a fair level of service, uh, no matter what their connections may be to, uh, you know, political families or political dynasties. Oh, Adam, one of the but one of the, oh, I say in that vein, no, it's okay, John. I, I, you know, one of the the, the knocks or criticisms of, of, of Chicago is the glut of aldermen we have. You know, fifty is a lot. It, a lot of cities run with fewer. Uh, we don't have necessarily the, the population, but what? How does that play into this idea of patronage? You know, fixing things well, or helping fix things. Well, it, it plays into the idea of, of fixing Chicago, because you cannot fix Chicago. Well, you put this way: you cannot even talk about the number of aldermen yet until we fix the core problem. And the core problem is is what do we do, and and who is responsible for it? Most mm -hmm. other cities. Uh, their councilmen, their aldermen, whichever you want to call them in, in, in individual cities, almost all of them are exclusively legislators. They pass laws. Their staffs are policy staffs, you know, political wow. science majors, planners, things like that. You know, we have to rely upon a service-based model, which is, again, if we're not the people responsible for delivering the service, all we are is uh, complaint takers. Right. You know, we might as well have a sign like Lucy and Linus and have complaints <laughs> you know, over our heads and, and we just take them in and we do what we can. And we and we really all, we all try to do is, as, as you know, work as hard as we can to satisfy the constituent requests that we get every day. But most other electeds, local electeds like ours don't do this. They have a public works department. They have something similar to, I guess, would be what would be our three one one. But one thing they would not do was refer it back to that city councilman if someone called for a legitimate request, a pothole, a street light, 
a tree trim, you know, uh, the things that you would ask the city to do to be responsible for, they point back to the individual alderman and say, call them and do it. So again, until we work this out and answer your, your original that, question, Jeff, the, yeah. in order to work yeah. this out and find out who, what the real rights and responsibilities of individuals are, then we can start discussing whether 50 aldermen are too many or, you know, or too few, you know, whatever the sure. case may be. Yeah, interesting. But if Alderman Sawyer had, under that plan, if Alderman Sawyer had, like, one day of tree trimming to do, and uh, he had to choose between constituent John Cass and constituent Jeff Carlin, uh, you know, he, he might ha have a difficulty until he realized, man, John Cass paid that debt to my dad, so I'm going to give him the tree trimming <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, that's the point. It, it puts... Yeah. It puts everybody beholden to their political lord. Right. And in, in one way, it's good, but in another way, you can see where it yeah, is up. Where the wheels come off on it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So until yeah. we get right, that so, right, until we, and we have to get that right first. Okay. And that's going to be a process. I mean, we, I, mean uh, I was learning again from Joe as he's, he's really diving into this, and he's got some people, and he's got a good organization working on it. Uh, learning a lot from what he was, what he's doing as, as far as the procedural aspects of it. We're going to need a lot of state action in order to get these things done. So I, I'm going to have to rely yes. upon our, our partners in the state, in the Springfield, uh, state reps and senators, and ultimately the governor to get these things done. But I think once we have that discussion, explain how important this is, I think that we can have some quick resolution. But again, it has to be intentional, and you have to understand what the ramifications are. I think I do. There are other ramifications we've got to talk about in the short time remaining. And that is, uh, who's the CTU Chicago teachers union backing? Because I, I've noticed that in this race, they had, uh, um, Dan Buckner for a while, but now I see Sophia King getting a fourth word of them and getting, um, a lot of pub saying what everyone else has been saying that uh, Superintendent Brown has to go, but she gets a lot of pub for it. And I'm wondering what's the game? What is the game guys? Help me out well, here. <laughs> again, I, you know, well, John, you know, I'm getting a little too old to play games right now. I really want to try to help our city uh, be the best it can be. We, we do have a world-class city. I think it's a wonderful place, but we have some problems. You know, if we're not talking about solving the problems, you know, uh, let's let's concentrate on that. And that's where I am. I, I can't speak for anybody else. I can't speak for CTU. Uh, I, I understand that uh, one of their members is going to be looking at getting in the race and we'll see what happens when that that unfolds. Mm. Uh, um, you know, but I've, I've spoken with CTU and, and you know, uh, when when asked, I, I did state, you know, the reasons why I, I think that I can be. A, a viable candidate in this race. I think that I, again, have something to offer based on my experience and uh, just being around and, and, and just having a plan on making sure that the city is, is handing over to the right, you know, in the right direction and me wanting to pass it off to someone that can take it that much further. So, um, you know, it, this is There's not a legacy builder for me. I, I'm not trying to be here forever. I want to make sure that the job gets done and I'm going to do what's necessary to get it done and, and, and move on and, and again, pass it to the next person 
who uh, can commit to public service and, and continuing the work that, that makes Chicago the best city in the world. The Chicago is Chicago the best city in the world now, though, because I don't know. We've no. got a mayor. Well, here's the mayor, mayor's plan uh, uh, to all the hell that's going on. Let's build a casino. Let me <laughs> yeah. put a $2 billion dome on Soldier Field that nobody wants. And let's have a bunch of NASCAR racers rolling through the loop. Right. I don't know if that's a plan. I don't know if that's you know, a plan, uh, Alderman Sawyer. Yes. Is that a plan? No. I mean, and I had issues with every single one of those things. The easiest, and, and I don't know how you, the, the casino was one of the easiest things we could have done. Yeah. And, yeah. and and even then, that was done, you know, with with a high degree of frustration. Uh, the casino conversation obviously has been going on, you know, actually since my father was in office. The, you know, the, the casino conversation sure. was back in the 80s. Uh, where they were designing a casino. So it, it was a long, long conversation. And there was no real big accolades on getting union involvement. We all knew if the casino was going to be built, it had to. this is a union town. We knew that it had to be right. union participation. That was no big achievement. That was just uh, like, hey, the sky is blue today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> unions are going to build a casino, you know. Uh, right. 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 Those, that was a given. That was not a uh, that was not a deal maker or break. It was a deal breaker. It was not going to happen without uh, union labor. And um, so I, I guess. And then the NASCAR thing was just a uh, just a head scratcher to me. I just didn't understand that. And obviously, what? the Alderman down there that, yeah. that were uh, affected have have big problems with it. And, you know, and I, I joined them in those concerns. Yeah. You didn't talk to any of them. Right. Yeah. You made no, a decision. No, did not. To shut down but the lakefront for a month, no problem. Well, I mean, the gas giveaway, the car giveaway, all these things are non-sustainable, and uh, and they eat into what we really could be doing to solve the core issues that we have. And uh, John, again, yes, I think Chicago is the greatest city in the world, despite the challenges that we have. Let's just, you know, again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's be surgical and remove the problems and continue to make Chicago the best city that it is. The pro- agreed, but the problem is, and no one knows better than the uh, Sixth Ward, that the uh, the two hundred or three hundred thousand African American black people have left the city of Chicago. Many of them middle class because yes. of the crime that she she and the de- pardon me, but the Democratic Party refuses to address in meaningful ways. Um, there was a Democratic Party that had moderate people like your father and you and others who had uh um say but i don't i don't people well, leave they both with their feet well uh, john rod i'm out i'm out and so a lot of your constituents out well john i say this um you know my in, in this race you know i am a chicagoan and i think most almost all chicagoans want the same thing you know they they want to feel safe in their environments They want good schools. They want effective policing. They want vibrant business corridors. You know, they want these basic things so that they can enjoy all the amenities that Chicago has to offer. And if we're not providing those basic services to them, yes, they will leave, particularly those that can afford to leave. So it is a problem that we have to address, but I think it's it's eminently addressable. Uh, But again, it has to have someone that has the intention and determination and, and the stand on, and I'm going to tell you, the word of, of the day is going to be in this election cycle is accountability. 
You know, people have to be accountable for their actions, both all the way around. There have to be consequences if you're doing something wrong. And the consequences vary. You know, they could be instructional. They can be, uh, you know, punishment. They can be, uh, you know, uh, doing things that help people get back into the system and in main life. But you cannot have one without the other. It's a both and approach. You know, I, I support initiatives for uh, to prevent recidivism. You know, I am for getting people back on, you know, if, after they've served their, their debt to society, get them back on the road to recovery. I, I support all those things. Yeah. But I also support the punishment. You know, I, I call it the hot stove theory. You know, when you, if you touch mm. the stove, you get burnt. So, you know, if, if it happens and you get, you know, you get caught and you're doing something criminal and you're doing something wrong, you have to pay, you have to be accountable to your actions. And then we can talk about how we rehabilitate you, get you back into society and make sure that you don't do those things any longer. But that's, uh, again, we, we need, that's why we need effective policing. That's why we need all the things that we need to have to make these things right. So that means us talking to our, our partners in the county and partners in the state making sure we have those kind of somewhat uncomfortable conversations sometimes, but you have to have them without, you know, calling people out of their name or, or doing things that are disrespectful to the other party. Let's work it out. Let's do it. What's, what's fair for everyone, but let's have that conversation. You're going to have that conversation, whether they want it or not, because we're coming up to Illinois as the no cash bail state. Mm -hmm. That's, Coming right after the right after the midterm elections, January it takes effect. Um, I don't know. I'm for bail for all people to have a chance at bail. I don't want to lock away people uh, Jean Valjean for stealing a loaf of bread, even though mm. that's not the case in real life. But um, at the same time, I don't want to release people out into the community. Uh, who've been accused of murder, arson, other violent crimes, and then they wreak havoc on the community members, and the media ignores it. The black people usually are committing a lot of these terrible crimes, unfortunately, for a lot of reasons, but black people are also the victims of these terrible crimes, and we have to if we if we ignore the victims, we're ignoring the city, and then they leave. That's why they go. Am I am I off base? No, I, I, uh, I, I totally understand your position. Right? And again, it's something that you, we 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 always fail to have the uncomfortable conversation. I think John, we talked about this before uh, in private conversations. Uh, but we're we're always unwilling to have the conversation that may make somebody or some group or some you know one uncomfortable. And we need to stop it. Right. We need to have these conversations in order for us to move forward. Yeah. I like and it. I'm, well, one, one uncomfortable conversation we will not have is me editing your first column for John Cass News. <laughs> because I can't wait. I can't wait to, to see Rod Sawyer lay it out, like the plan for Chicago and, and how he would affect yeah. that plan. Yeah, I'll be happy right. to do it. And uh, again, this is, uh, you know, th this is exciting for me because I, I want to help. That's all I really want to do. I, I don't, this is not about me uh, gaining name recognition or whatever. Um, 
this is me wanting to roll up my around. sleeves and do the work and, and do what's best for Chicago. You've seen Chicago at its best and you're seeing it at its worst. And, uh, yeah, I know what you're about, uh, Rod. That's why you're here. And I That's appreciate that, John, Chicago always. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got to leave it there, John. We're, we're, we've taken up a lot of the Alderman's time today. Well, no, no problem at all. Thanks, Alderman. To to, always happy to talk to John. We always have good conversation. <laughs> and yep. then when you see Lori, when you see Lori again, tell her she's welcome to write up. Uh, you know, I want her to write uh, for John Cass News too. Um, maybe a recipe for Italian sausage, like to put long <laughs> Italian sausage. <laughs> <laughs> sausage with meatballs you know i don't know or something else you know i'm, I'm not going to ask you if I, I let her let her people hear this and go to run <laughs> well, to I, I look forward to i look forward to the engagement <laughs> thank you sir thank you sir thank you anytime thank you so for uh, rod sawyer alderman of the sixth ward candidate for mayor of chicago who's been around he saw his father savaged by progressives, all these angry white people shaking their fingers in his face. Made me sick. And for Jeff Carlin, executive producer, WGN Radio, future physics teacher, master of pies, lover of cats, and for me, John Cass, husband, father, Orthodox Christian. Editor-in-chief of John Cass News, where you heard it, everybody can, uh, all the people running for mayor of Chicago are invited to to submit an article. Join us again next time, won't you, for another edition of the Chicago Way podcast on WGM Plus.